Welcome to Cybility Savvy, the show that demystifies cybersecurity for not-for-profit boards and leaders. Welcome back to our conversation with Laura Dawson. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, in which we discuss her role as CIO, I encourage you to do so first. And now we're going to talk about her role as a trustee, and not just in one organisation, but two. So would you like to uh, tell us a bit about how you became a trustee and who you're working with? Oh, thanks very much, Michaela, and, and welcome back, everybody. Um, my, I became a trustee of Charity IT Leaders back in 2008, I think it was. Um, so I've been a trustee there for a long time and I have been chair as well. So that was one. And then very recently, I've just joined the board for the London University's Procurement Consortium. Mm. So in both of those cases, um, I'm quite interested as to how you bring cybersecurity into that. I mean, does it even come up uh, at that level, do you find? or Very much so. I mean, well, first of all, with um, Charity IT Leaders, all of the trustees are a leader in technology somewhere in, in either the sector I'm in, which is higher ed, or you've got the charity sector itself, and we've got somebody from private sector as well who's a trustee. Mm -hmm. So, and we are all technology leaders. Mm -hmm. So we all have a relationship with cybersecurity in one form mm -hmm. or another. So that comes in. But yes, it does touch upon the topics that we discuss. I mean, the whole purpose of the group is to improve the use of technology in charities to the benefit of, of all of our beneficiaries, whether that's nature, children, mm. um, old people, people with disabilities, whatever the issue is, um, we, we have them. We, we actually support loads of charities and therefore therefore loads of beneficiaries, which is rather rather nice, actually. Mm. But yes, so it does touch upon um, the, the security stuff. And I think we've done a number of different things. We did a hackathon a few years ago as part of one of our meetings, whether or not we had diversity in cybersecurity. And the reason we did that and the reason I wanted to do that was because the threat is diverse. Yeah. And if we don't meet that diverse threat with diverse solutions, they've got one over us. So we have to be diverse. We've got to understand and that's diversity of thought, diversity of people, diversity of training. It's not just have we got more women in cybersecurity? Yeah. It's it's kind of much broader, ethnicity, gender, um, mm. sexual orientation, everything. We need to be mm. listening to lots of different diversity. But when we did the hackathon, what became really quite clear was we actually also needed to do a hackathon on where security was in the sector anyway. Right. So it's a little bit disappointing. We were trying to do this kind of higher minded thing about diversity mm. and inclusion. And actually the basics weren't there. So we've done quite a lot of work and we continue to do quite a lot of work. We, we do reach out every now and then to the Charity Security Forum, which is a great organisation. Mm -hmm. We could do more with them. We really yeah. could. Yeah, no, I'd like to see that myself, actually. Um, that'd be really interesting if uh, we could all start sort of moving t together, sort of supporting one another more generally, yeah. I think. And don't start your own group if there's already one that exists. Use it. So that's um, your role as, you know, trustee of CITL for quite a while. Um, what attracted you to the procurement trustee role? Ah, it was, it's, it's a really interesting. Um, thank you for asking that question. Traditionally, technology and procurement never quite had such a good loving relationship as we perhaps might like. Um, now, I happen to have here, again, I'm, I'm very blessed here. So I'm about to kind of just expound the virtues of our head of procurement, who is amazing. He's brilliant. Mm -hmm. But he kind of got me connected and because we have such a good a relationship and because my view about procurement 
it's a really important tool in your toolkit, good procurement. And if you don't work closely with procurement, it's going to come in at the last minute and it's going to, a bit like security used to, it's going to like draw air in between the little mm. hole and your teeth going, wouldn't have done it like that, love. So you need to get them in early. So it's just about, about building that relationship with procurement. I mean, the London University Procurement Consortium is great because actually it's about bringing universities together to get bigger buying power to be able to get really good deals. And, and you know, what's what's not to like, really, about doing that? So, you know, and I think getting that and making sure that we're doing cost effective solutions and savings for, for people is a really, really good idea. In terms of, you know, the last bit of the jigsaw, if you like, cybersecurity and procurement, they need to be so close together, you can't get a cigarette paper between them. And I think what I would, would say about that is they're actually both trying to do the same thing, but with different lenses. Yes. They're both trying to get people to do the right thing to the benefit of the organization. And people often don't see it like that. There is a job that we all have to do. We have to make our processes so easy to use that people it's easier to get it right than it is to get it wrong. They've both got the best interests of the school, the charity, whatever, at heart. And they often don't get seen that way. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, as you say, sort of not just a historical thing. You know, it depends, again, I think very much on personality as well. Certainly in some organisations, I've had amazing working relationships, you know, with you know, legal procurement, audit, etc. You know, sort of all, you know, the sort of gateways, if you like, mm. where security can embed themselves in uh, and support each other. It's like, oh, did you know about this? And it's like, no, but, you know, that whole thing, uh, I think, is really important. And, and just thinking about the buying power you mentioned mm. there, what about the benefit around supply chain assurance um, and sort of sharing that burden. Is that something that you've been looking at at all? Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to what um, I was t- talking about with Mar- our head of procurement when he was talking about ethical procurement. We've signed up for Electronics Watch. and That was through LUPC as well. And it, it kind of takes some of the burden away of making sure you're doing the right thing in an ethical way. So, yeah, I think that assurance, that supply chain assurance is really important. That was just on one aspect on the ethical side. It's also there on the is this company sustainable? Are they going mm-hmm. to be around in 10 years time? And just helping us to do that. And then then making sure that we're getting the best value for money. Mm-hmm. I think where there's been a problem in the past with procurement is, is that the only tool in the toolkit for value for money used to be just tendering. Right. And the problem there was if you've got something like, I don't know, a, a seam or you've, you've put in place... Um, a long, you want a long-term relationship with a particular antivirus product or wh- whatever the solution is, the cost of switching is not insubstantial. Mm. So if you if the only tool in the toolkit for value for money is tendering and you do that too frequently, then you're actually putting a heart attack across the security team every time you, you want to change it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's that's not really the best idea. So what you, you kind of are seeing now is is much more about negotiation, ongoing mm-hmm. negotiation, other tools in the toolkit, um, market tests and checks mm-hmm. using various tools that give you market data that you can then go into and have a conversation and mm-hmm. renegotiate the contract. Your procurement are your friend if they've got those tools in the toolkit. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. You uh, used the term SIM there, uh, which I'm just conscious that some of our listeners may not know what that is. Um, so would you like to explain for them? But- it's security information and event yeah. management. It's basically about us being more alert and more aware about what's going on within our environment. We're also doing quite a lot on vulnerability management. We're looking mm-hmm. at SOC. Security Operations Centre for our listeners. Yeah. 
yeah so yeah we're we we want to put that in place as well so um there's a lot going on in our area here i, I guess and we sort of jokingly talked about trust earlier not jokingly but seriously talked about trust earlier and the organization trusts what we're doing so we've got the investment we need to do what we need to do which is great but yeah just bringing it back around to um the trustee role side of it mm -hmm. how do you find your conversations with your trustees at the university around cybersecurity. First of all, just to give you a little bit of context of the two, the difference between the two, the charity IT leaders, the the trustees up until now, have been the executive and the governance. Right. So we've done both. So that has been slightly different in terms of the conversation that we have. I would have with mm -hmm. trustees in a charity that's perhaps larger, where that governance and that executive have been split. So in our case, the, the governance and the executive has been split. The council are not responsible for the ex execution of the strategy. They are there to ensure that whatever we're doing is being done in the right way. So the conversation is more about method and process and investment. And are we at the right levels? And have we got the right governance in place? And are we monitoring our governance? And are we, are we auditing at the appropriate times and all that kind of stuff? The conversations that I tend to have, and it's, it's a very careful balance that you need to have because you're, I'm underneath the executive. So you've got me, then you've got the executive, and then you've got counsel. Mm. So in, in any of those circumstances, it's always a very careful balance because what you don't want to do is walk in and tell the council something that you haven't told <laughs> the executive. So you've got to get that happy balance. The main thing is that it's masses of preparation. I'm, I'm open and honest. I will talk about where things are needing improvement, but you always talk about them in the sense of what are you doing to address it? Yeah. And that's always the conversation that you're having. What you don't want to do with any anyone, executive or governance, is go, mm. oh, my God, all these horrible things are happening and it's all really, really terrible, and then leave it at that. Mm. Because that doesn't do anybody any favours and mm -hmm. isn't going to resolve the issue. So you've got to always have a kind of view about what you're going to do. When I worked in particularly another charity, I'm not going to say which one because that wouldn't be fair, but the trustees were quite unaware of technology. I mean, they were there for a particular reason and they were all from the field that this particular charity dealt with, but they weren't necessarily that aware of technology and didn't see the value of technology. And I remember having a conversation with them, not about security, but about it doesn't do us any good if your frontline workers are spending too much time on their computers rather than doing what you want them to do. Mm. Therefore, we need to give them good computers because if they're too slow, they're spending too much time on those computers. And that was quite a difficult logical thing to try and get across to them because they didn't mm. want to spend any money on new computers or security or anything. They just wanted their people to be out on the field doing what they needed to do, to do it. So they didn't see the link. If you've got a 20 minute boot up time for your computer, that's mm. 20 minutes you're not on the front line. Absolutely. Which do you want? And we got them in the end. Mm. But our trustees often in those, those sort of circumstances don't s sort of see that link. They're not always that business savvy. Mm. So it's interesting that um, in terms of obviously this is cyberity savvy, um, but as you say, different trustees are brought in for for specific purposes just thinking sort of wider about charities and uh, other non-profits in general have you seen any increase at all in having one particular trustee sort of be the champion for cyber security uh, and actually I, this is a really good point actually and one that i want to get across to our listeners is not enough i've seen a lot of char charities take on digital expertise mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So it's somebody who's looking at innovation or they're looking at being more personally relevant or locally relevant to your beneficiaries or your donors. See mm -hmm. a lot of that. That's great. But quite often um, they have chosen people who've come from an innovation space. Now, innovation, again, is fantastic, but innovation does not deliver at scale. And a lot of these charities are delivering at scale. Mm. So, so that's always been the problem with startups is they don't always deliver at scale. So I don't think there is enough in the trustee about this kind of governance. We'll have financial governance and we might mm. even have risk. But we very rarely see somebody at the trustee level who has a good understanding of cybersecurity. And it is, and yet it is probably the biggest threat that most charities are facing after the supply chain, the fuel issue and the economy. Yeah. But yeah. It, is, it is massive and mm. we don't see it. Mm. Why, why do you think that is? It's still not seen. I mean, probably less so now after the pandemic, actually, mm. that technology is not seen as the enabler that it needs to be. It's, it's seen as a janitorial service that's somewhere over there oh, it's just computers, isn't it? It's just the stuff on my desk, isn't it? That understanding of the value of technology to your business still hasn't quite landed. And the, the I mean, there's a talk that I do quite a lot about what most organizations are facing, which mm -hmm. is where they've done local innovative solutions and then somehow tried to lash them all together to create new processes mm -hmm. or new integrations or whatever it is they've done. I don't think most organizations realize that that, that approach, which is, 75% of companies have got that approach mm -hmm. according to an MIT study. Wow. That approach means that every single one of those connections, every single connection is a vulnerability. You could draw two little lines on every single one of them and all those yeah. little red lines are your vulnerabilities. I don't think people realize that they want technology. They want mm -hmm. it to do amazing things. They somehow want it to happen up here. They don't really care about the legacy stuff. And the net result is they don't see the value of the technology and they, and they don't understand the risk. So I don't think people understand the risk. I don't people see, see that technology is intrinsic to their business. I don't mm -hmm. think they understand legacy. And when they're appointing, who wants a CIO on your trustee board? I mean, it doesn't make logical sense to me, but then, mm -hmm. you know, that's me ranting quietly in my little mm -hmm. corner going, this is not <laughs> good enough. But it isn't good enough. Mm. If we want to deliver digital services to our beneficiaries, they need to be secure. We need to put the right data in the right hands at the right time safely. And mm. we can't do that if we don't deal with this cludge of systems that are just lashed together in some kind of spaghetti-like way and gone, there you go, mm. there's your technology core. What's really interesting as well to me is, you know, just hearing you sort of go through that is it reminded me of another area that face similar challenges um, and that's enterprise architecture, not oh. just enterprise security architecture, but enterprise architecture, yeah. uh, which is an area that I'm kind of sort of interested in. Again, you have all sort of this together because I also sort of think, actually, if we did that well, a lot of this other stuff, you know, would just like flow. But as you said, 75% of organisations are just things together and it's probably maybe I don't know 1% of organizations who even know what enterprise architecture is and do it. So enterprise architecture is very similar to cybersecurity in many ways and it comes back to what we were saying earlier about what are the skills and attitudes and behaviors that you mm -hmm. need in cybersecurity. Same question what do you need in enterprise architecture? I think and I'm, I'm very blessed here in that this does not relate to my current team. My current team are amazing and they're great mm -hmm. and they've got all the attributes that I want. But there is a bit about early enterprise architecture where they did suck the, the air in over the teeth and they did kind of go, oh, I wouldn't do it like that, love. And they basically pushed people away. 
and there is a there is a conflict just as there is with cybersecurity and ops there's mm -hmm. a conflict between enterprise architecture and ops mm. ops just want to keep things running it wants to keep it going it's got an operation it's going to get loads of calls if this thing goes down it's not going to work you've got to you know, stay away from my live system yeah. and and you know people do talk about it. it's my network my server room my you know whatever it is so there's that real kind of need to keep the operation running and then you've got enterprise architecture what well, needs to be designed properly Mm. And there's a conflict there. And if they don't have the empathy and they don't have the trust and they can't articulate it in business terms and they kind of sit in the little um, enterprise architecture ivory tower kind of issuing kind of diktats about how things are going to be, then, yeah, you're, you're going to have people not understanding the value of enterprise architecture. Mm. So, I mean, for me, it's the same with cybersecurity. The, the key thing they need to do is define their services, define the services you give. Mm -hmm. Some of them are going to be tactical. Some of them are going to be strategic. Make sure your tactical ones are easy to get hold of and you can deliver mm -hmm. them well. They give you the key to the door to do the strategic ones. You cannot do this job without enterprise architecture. And what amazes me is we build a building with architecture. Why do we not understand that it applies to everything else? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> It's like anything. It's plumbing. It's got to connect. You've got to have things moving smoothly between it. We have a strategy here. Our, our vision for technology here is to create and maintain a strong operational core. There's so many wonderful things you've sort of shared with us today. And uh, whilst I appreciate that you've probably got a lot of that from your own experience, um, you know, are there any sort of books you've read that you think are particularly useful for people? Um, I've got three actually. Um, they're, they're, I'm afraid they're all non-fiction. Although I throw in a non-fiction at the a fiction at the end. Um, so the first one is a book by Christine Pearson, which is the Cost of Bad Behaviour, and that was a, a real eye-opener about how important it was to build an environment where people feel they could talk to each other. There was no bullying, all of those kinds of things. Create the right kind of culture, and and the cost mm -hmm. of not having that. And it's a bit of an eye opener when you go through. It's a bit of an exercise. You can kind of mm. go through and do the, the costings. But the amount that, that bad behavior costs us and costs the world and organizations is, is a lot bigger than people think it is. My second book that I would recommend is by Kim Jean. He's written a book called The DevOps Handbook. He's also written something called The Phoenix Project. But The DevOps oh, Handbook is, yeah. is, is actually about putting that into action. Mm. And I don't know about anyone else, but in, as in every role I've joined, apart from this one, and every role I've joined, my first week, there's been a massive outage. Yeah. <laughs> like traditional. And, and I, I'm reading this book. I kind of realized that what the issue was is that when there's a change of CIO, there's a loss of control over change. And change is your biggest vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get your arms around how you do change on your live environment pretty darn quick, then things start to get looser and looser and looser because you go back to this thing about the conflict with ops they mm -hmm. just want to get things working they just want to i'll just apply this patch i'll just pull out this network yeah. cable i'll just do whatever and you have to get your hands on change and and they start with a kind of series of steps the first of which is zero zero tolerance on unauthorized change right nothing else if you just remember that sentence zero mm -hmm. tolerance and unauthorized change it will change your life as a cio mm -hmm. it's amazing so and that's to see so and I see so, yeah. Mm. And then the last one is my new favorite hero is a lady called Jeannie Ross, who mm. is enterprise architect and she's um, a professor at MIT. She's actually retired now, unfortunately, but she's she's still amazing. And she's written a book called IT Governance. And that's quite interesting because it boils it all down mm. to decision rights. Okay. 
most important thing you need to get right on IT governance is where decisions mm -hmm. get made. And if you have, as many organizations do, decisions all over the place, then you have anarchy and that's really difficult to deal with. So um, I think those are my three kind of books for in the topics that we're talking about. Yeah, that really helps. Yeah. If I throw in my fiction, it has to be um, Stephen Donaldson's Mordant's Need. I couldn't bear Thomas Covenant, the unbeliever, because I hated the character. <laughs> But Mordant's Need is just a really, I've read it, must have read it five or six times. It's just lovely. It's a bit romantic-y, fantasy type thing, but it is, it's really good. And the okay. importance of protecting your 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 interfaces, actually. I'll say no more. Okay. Well, uh, for those who like fantasy, we can add that to our reading list as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that. In terms of keeping yourself up to date, do you do that with like podcasts or other things? What do you tend to do? Oh, um, podcasts, definitely. I do a morning walk every day and I, I, it's usually about 40 minutes. So that gives me enough time to usually listen to podcasts. So, yeah, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I also read quite a lot. I read a lot of usually articles. I use LinkedIn a lot to kind of keep up to date with articles. And then I also quite like videos. I've gotten into creating and watching videos I for, for getting information across. I just find it's a really easy way for me to digest. Okay. Um, I make myself read a book. So those three books I gave you, I made myself read those to the end. So that's mm -hmm. pretty good. That shows they're good. Cool. Okay. And um, as as we sort of wrap up here, uh, what is one question that you wish I'd asked you, and how would you have answered? It's a bit of a leading question. I think I would have would have wanted to see is is just how important is trust right. in cybersecurity, and it's interesting because the whole posture of cybersecurity has to be zero trust. Mm -hmm. It has to be. But when you're talking about the relationships within an organization, you have to build trust mm -hmm. about talking to people and being connected. So I think there's something there about not underestimating the value of building a trusting relationship between the CIO and the CISO mm -hmm. and the CFO and the coup and all of those individuals so that you can get in the door and you can have a conversation. And that means use your power wisely. Mm. Don't, you know, don't go up like a skyrocket every time any little thing happens. You know, one fishing attempt does not a summer mm. make. You kind of use your power wisely and and be pragmatic and mm. you'll gain the trust. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I think that's a great little phrase. So uh, use your power wisely and be pragmatic to gain trust. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I like that as a nice little takeaway for everybody. Well, actually, that probably ties into uh, the advice you'd give people as well, would it? Or would there be anything else you'd like to add? Oh, I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm at the moment busy working in my mind on a kind of there's a formula for trust. There is, yes, involved. the trust equation. Sorry. The trust equation. Yeah, but I don't know this. So I'm making my own one up. Oh. Um, which is, and I've actually seen the, the trust equation. But for me, the, the, the kind of key ingredients, so maybe it's the recipe for trust. Let's not call it, okay. a, call it the recipe I'm following mm -hmm. great bake-off kind of approach. I think you need to have a huge dollop of transparency. Mm -hmm. So you have to be, to build trust, you've got to be transparent. So we talk about being radically transparent here. Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean to say that I run around the campus with no clothes on. What it means <laughs> is that I'm really clear about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I try really hard and I don't always succeed in communicating what I'm trying to do and what I'm doing and, and not hide anything. Mm. And, and with that comes a little a soup song of taking responsibility. Mm. So if something goes wrong, it is far, far better to say, that's on me. Let yeah. me go and deal with that. 
than it is to say it's not my fault. So taking responsibility is really important. So you've got transparency and taking responsibility. I think the other thing is integrity. Mm. And that is about doing what you said you were going to do and being really just consistent about it and all the rest of it. And then maybe the last bit of the trust equation is about context and context matters. The hundreds and thousands that you scatter across our lovely cake that we've just built has to be the context. Mm. What is the context that you're operating in? And if you don't understand that and you don't pay attention to that, then it doesn't matter about the others. You're not going to fit. And so I put those in. So all those things really are the recipe for trust. Okay, that's brilliant. So uh, we've got our recipe for trust that we can all go away and have a go at. Um, so where can uh, we find you online if we've got some questions about that recipe? I am predominantly on LinkedIn. I actually watched The Social Dilemma a few months back and so I've cut my use of Facebook and Twitter to an absolute minimum. And I'm rarely on. I do go on occasionally, but usually only to talk about football. So I wouldn't meet me there. <laughs> Um, so I'm on LinkedIn predominantly um, and you can find me Laura Dawson on LinkedIn. That's brilliant. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for a really fascinating conversation today. Really appreciate it. And I hope that our listeners enjoy it as much as I did. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. Um, it's been great. And I hope to see you again soon. Will do. OK, bye bye. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. If you found this useful, please subscribe and share on Twitter and LinkedIn. I would also appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and leave a review. You can contribute to future episodes by visiting our website to share your cybersecurity concerns and questions. The link is in the description. This show was written and produced by me, Michaela Leavorg, and co-produced and edited by Anna Garner. Music by CFO Garner. I hope you join us next time. Thank you.